If you appreciate our band and leaders there in worship, let them know that. I, I did appreciate, too, uh, Jamie's testimony of answered prayer in his life. Uh, God is good. Amen? Amen? I don't know if you happened to see the uh, e-newsletter that went out on Friday. There were about three testimonies of answered prayer in that e-newsletter. Uh, just, if, if you didn't see those, take time uh, to look at those and just give praise to the Lord because... Our prayers make a difference. I I hope you believe that. I'm wondering how many times already in our Old Testament reading have we seen where God had had it up to here with the Hebrew people because of their rebellion against Him, because of their, their complaining against Him, and He was ready to destroy them. And Moses stepped into the gap and he prayed to God not to destroy His people, And God answered His prayer. Moses made a difference for those people. Just through His praying for them. A difference between life and death. I was talking with our youth minister Ian this last week about this very thing. In fact, he's the one that was calling my attention to this. He said, in Old Testament times, Moses was the mediator of God's people. Between him, and, between him and His people, Moses was the mediator. Today, Jesus is our mediator between us and God. And He is a much better mediator than what Moses was. Moses was good, but Jesus is a perfect mediator. And He has invited you and me, to enter into the Holy of Holies where the Heavenly Father dwells. Now think about that. For all of those years in the Old Testament, God's people were not invited into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest was invited into the Holy of Holies where God was. And that was only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And so, access to the Holy of Holies was very limited until Jesus came and He died on the cross for our sins. And you remember, when He died on the cross, what happened to the veil of the temple? It was torn in two from top to bottom, which signified now all people were invited into the Holy of Holies to be in the very presence of God. That's what Jesus' death on the cross accomplished for you and for me. We can enter into the very throne room of God. We can enter into the Holy of Holies that for all time before had been inaccessible to us. And one of the ways that we enter into that throne room of God is through prayer. Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and might find grace to help in time of need. It's absolutely amazing to me that we can enter into God's very presence, the Holy of Holies. We can enter therein with 
confidence and we can know that our prayers, our requests, which we are giving to Him, are going to make a difference. What I want to talk to you about today is the kind of prayer that moves the heart of God. Think with me. What kind of prayer moves the heart of God? Last week, Tim talked about praying with persistence. And certainly, that is one kind of prayer that moves the heart of God. We need to knock on the door. I visited a family this last week that's been coming to our church and I walked up to their door and I did not do this. No. I mean, that would be a little strange, wouldn't it? If I walked up to a door and just knocked one time, they might wonder what in the world that was. But as I walked up to their door, I gave it a good knock several times. Now, if they hadn't come on that sequence of knocks, I would have knocked another sequence of times to get their attention. That's what I was trying to do. To get their attention, to alert them that I'm at the door wanting to see them. And Jesus, in His teaching in Matthew chapter 7, said, ask and seek and knock. In fact, the original language says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And the, the, the one who knocks, the door will be answered, Jesus said. And so it is a persistent prayer that moves the heart of God. But let me go on with this theme of what kind of prayer is it that moves the heart of God. How about this? A prayer of faith. Have you, have you noticed in your New Testament reading the number of times that Jesus emphasized the importance of faith? Matthew chapter 8, the centurion came to Jesus and asked Him to heal His servant who was lying sick at home. And when Jesus said, yes, I'll come, the servant said, you don't even have to come to my house. You, you just say the word. And I know that my servant will be made well. And Jesus, when, when He said that, got really excited about the man's faith. He said, he said, I've not seen such great faith with anyone in Israel. I want you to mark it down in your mind. When one exhibits faith in Jesus, Jesus really gets excited about that. Same thing is true over in Matthew chapter 9. Same story is told in Mark chapter 2. Jesus was in Capernaum. A paralytic was brought to Him. You remember, Jesus was teaching in a house. It was plumb full of people and overflowing so that these four fellows who had their friend who was a paralytic on a stretcher, they couldn't get to Jesus inside of the house. So, you remember what they did? They went up onto the roof and they clawed a hole into the roof and opened up a hole there and they dropped their friend on ropes, a rope on each corner of the stretcher, dropped him down right in the presence of Jesus. And Matthew 9 says, when Jesus saw their faith, He healed the man. Again, I want you to note that when Jesus sees our faith 
exhibited in him, he gets excited over that. But you know what? The opposite is true too. When we fail to show our faith in him, it bothers him. Chapter 8 of Matthew, the disciples were with Jesus on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. A storm arose. They were afraid for their lives. If you remember, Jesus was in the back of the boat asleep. I don't know how He was sleeping, but He was. And His disciples were so afraid, they awakened Him, crying out for His help to be given to them. The Scripture says He stood up, He rebuked the wind and the waves, and the text says the sea became perfectly calm. But the text also says there is one thing that Jesus did before He rebuked the wind and the waves. Remember what it was? It says He rebuked His disciples for their lack of faith. Where is your faith? He said to them. Why are you afraid? Jesus really gets excited when one demonstrates their faith in Him, but he, I think He seems to be frustrated. He seems to be disappointed when we don't exhibit our faith in Him. He is moved by our faith and He is also moved by our lack of faith. When you and I accompany faith with our prayers to God, oftentimes good things can happen. Jesus said in Matthew 17.20, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. I'm thinking that if we were having more faith, we could be moving more mountains. Even the faith the size of a mustard seed. Jesus said. Now does that mean that God will always answer our prayers the way that we pray them if we have faith? No, I don't think so. In fact, next Sunday, my son-in-law, Luke Proctor, is going to be preaching to you and he will address that question further. Which is a very pertinent topic for us. But I want to encourage you today as we're talking about prayer accompanied by faith, I want to encourage you to ask big things of God because the Scripture promises us numerous times that nothing is impossible for Him. So what is it that moves the heart of God? It is a prayer accompanied by faith. Let me give to you a second answer to that question. A humble prayer. Let, let me read to you from Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 9, reading through verse 14. And it says, And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying. 
this to Himself. God, I thank You that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. A humble spirit will go so much further with God than a spirit of pride. I was trying to think of some prayers in Scripture. In fact, I want to have a little fun with you this morning. I want to read some Scriptures, some prayers that were prayed in a spirit of humility, and I want you to tell me who prayed them, okay? If I could put them on the screen. First one. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes... What if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? Who prayed that prayer? Abraham. You're right. And actually, it was a plea to the angel of the Lord in behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. His nephew Lot was there. And notice the spirit of humility in this plea, this prayer that Abraham is is speaking. I'm nothing but dust and ashes, Lord, but would you please consider my request? Here's another prayer. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them, But you, God, you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Do you know who prayed that prayer? Miriam, Moses' sister. And and, and it's... Do you note the... The spirit of the prayer. There has been great victory there at the Red Sea. And she is saying, Lord, this victory is Your victory. It's not because we were so great, but it's because You are so great. A spirit of humility when she was giving praise to God. Here's another one. I think most of you will get this. Speak, Lord, for Thy servant is listening. Samuel prayed that prayer. Just as a little guy in in the the house of Eli, and he's hearing the voice of the Lord, he's thinking at first it's Eli speaking to him. He goes to Eli three times, and Eli says, I think God's speaking to you. This is what you say the next time you hear His voice. And he hears it once again, and Samuel says, Speak, Lord. Thy servant is listening. Wouldn't that be a good prayer for you and I to pray? Out of a spirit of humility, Lord, would You speak to me? Would You make Your voice known to me? Here's here's one. 
In fact, I'll, I'll give you a hint on this one. The greatest king ever to sit on the throne of Israel prayed this prayer. Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? Who prayed that? How about David? And notice the spirit of humility. It's nothing that I have done to deserve this throne. God, in fact, I don't deserve it. How about this next one? Now, O Lord my God, You made Your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Who, did, who prayed that prayer? Solomon. Solomon, one of the wisest men in the world, and he's wise enough to know to pray out of a spirit of humility. I don't deserve this. I, it's not a spirit of saying, I've, 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 I've come to a point where I, I have this in my hand. I can do this. No, it's, God, I can't do this without You. A spirit of humility. Now, do you see any difference in this next prayer that I'm going to show to you. Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Who prayed that? Nebuchadnezzar. And you note the difference. This No spirit of humility in this prayer. Rather, a spirit of power or pride. And this, Look what I've done. Look what I've attained. Look what I have built. This is all for my glory. Do you remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar after he prayed this prayer? Shortly after he prayed this prayer, God humbled him. I mean, He humbled him in a big time way. He was driven out of the palace. He was in a field, a grass field, on all fours, eating grass for seven years. Let me read to you verse 33 of Daniel chapter 4. This is about Nebuchadnezzar, the great king over the empire of Babylon. Verse 33 says, His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. That's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He had the spirit of pride just all full of himself and God finally got tired of that and He humbled him. Put him out in the field with the cows to eat grass for seven years. I just I want to encourage you to pray to God from a spirit of humility. One way we can pray to God from a spirit of humility is simply to confess our sins to Him. To be quick to confess our sins to Him. Last week, behind the stage, before I baptized Joey Rodriguez, I was there just one-on-one with Him and I asked Him to pray 
a prayer of repentance. And normally, and in fact to Joey himself, I I said, as I usually do to people, I, I want you to pray a prayer asking God to forgive you. And you can pray that silently to God. You can pray it audibly, however you want to do that. I just want you to take a time to pray. And most often, people will pray that prayer just silently between them and God. But last week, Joey prayed that prayer audibly. And I heard his prayer. And it was the most beautiful, humble prayer. I mean, I'm so glad that he prayed that prayer that I could hear the Spirit within him. He was just giving his sins to God. And it it was as though I wasn't even there. He was praying directly to God. And I got to be a listener into it. It It was beautiful. And I know there had to have been a smile on God's face because He loves a prayer prayed out of humility. And there isn't anything that God wants to do more than to forgive us of our sins. And so what kind of prayer is it that moves the heart of God? A prayer of humility. A prayer from a spirit of humility. A prayer of faith. And then there's a third prayer that I think certainly moves the heart of God. Let me read the Scripture to you. James chapter 5, verse 16, the second part of that verse anyway, it says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. It's from the New Living Translation. As I studied this passage, I found this to be the literal translation of that passage. And I quote, The the supplication of a righteous man availeth much in its working. That's the, the literal translation of that passage. It almost sounds like the King James Version, doesn't it? Let me read it to you again. The supplication of a righteous man availeth much in its working. So what kind of prayer is it that moves the heart of God? It's an earnest prayer that's backed up by a righteous life. We're talking earnest prayers. We're talking fervent prayers of a righteous person. And those two things together are going to move the heart of God. And I think the emphasis is both upon the earnestness of our praying and also upon our being righteous before God. Let me ask you this. How earnest are you in your prayers to God? How serious are you? How intense are you in your praying to Him? If you look at the context here of this passage out of James chapter 5, the few verses previous 
to verse 16 are talking about the one who has fallen sick physically. And then the two verses that follow verse 16, it's how James concludes his book, those two verses are talking about the one who has fallen sick spiritually. And sandwiched in between these two themes, the one who is sick physically and the one who is sick spiritually, what is it that we are to be doing for them? We are to be praying fervently for them. I'm thinking of Jacob in Genesis 32 where he wrestled with God through the night. Remember that passage of Scripture? He's wrestling with God all through the night and morning comes and he says, I will not let go of you unless you bless me. Now that's a fervent prayer. That's intense. That is an earnest prayer. And that's the kind of prayer that will move the heart of God, especially when it is backed up by a righteous life. I, I, was, I was just doing some thinking in my own mind when, when, are, when have been the times that I have prayed earnestly, fervently to God? Can you, can you think of some times in your life, just to yourself, think back, when have I really earnestly, fervently prayed to God? If you're like me, it's during those times when, I mean, things were pretty critical. I'm thinking of, of the time when my son, 30 years ago, I didn't know if he was going to make it or not. The doctors didn't know. And I tell you what, my prayers were earnest. I was crying out. Like I'd never cried out before to God. And I, I can think of other times in my life when, when the road got really rough and rocky and uncertain. And the prayers became more fervent more earnest. I'm just wondering if we, if we couldn't just take a step closer to that, to being more normal for us, that we could be focused, that we could be prioritizing our thoughts. That I mean, we have things we need to be praying fervently for. And backed up by a righteous life. Now, I don't want you to be confused here because the Scripture says in Romans that, that there is no one righteous, not even one. And so you may be wondering, how, how I'm not righteous. I, how can I be righteous? How, how can my prayers be backed up by a righteous life? I have no righteousness of my own. You're right. So how does all of this fit together? How is there not a contradiction here? I'll tell you, our righteousness is in Him. When He gave Himself on the cross for us and His blood 
was shed for us. That gave to us the opportunity to become righteous. And we become righteous in Him when we put our faith in Him. And so His righteousness covers our unrighteousness. But I want you to know too from Scripture, there is a righteousness that we are to pursue in life. Isn't that right? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, Pursue holiness. And so we who are children of God are to be trying to live a righteous life. We are to be trying to become like Him. We want to please Him with our life. And when we are seeking to live a God-pleasing life, you back that up with earnest, fervent prayers and you have prayers that are going to move the heart of God. And then he gives us an example right here in Scripture. Elijah was a man just like us, the Scripture says. He had a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain on the earth. And for three years and six months it did not rain. And then he prayed again, the Scripture says, and the sky poured forth its rain and the earth produced its fruit. You want to have a prayer that's moving the heart of God? Then seek to pray fervently. And have that prayer backed up by a life pleasing to God. Let me give to you one final answer to this question. The kind of prayer that moves the heart of God is a Spirit-led prayer. Paul speaks of such a prayer in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. I want to I be led by the Spirit, don't you? In your praying? I, I, I want to be in the Spirit as I pray. You say, what kind of prayer is that? What, what's that prayer look like? A prayer that is in the Spirit. I think a prayer that is in the Spirit is going to be filled with praise. Because the Holy Spirit knows more than anyone else how much He is worthy of our praise. And I think such a prayer that is in the Spirit is going to be filled with thanksgiving because the Holy Spirit knows better than anyone else that He is the one who gives every good and perfect gift. And I think such a prayer that is in the Spirit is going to be filled with intercessory prayer. Because... It's important that we pray for each other. I mean, we, we do need to pray for the lost. We do need to pray for the strain, the prodigals that need to come home. We do need to pray for the sick that need God's healing touch. We need to pray for those that are hurting. We need to pray for those that are 
that are impoverished and need God's help. We, we need to pray for those who, who have burdens. We lift their burdens up to the throne. And you know what? It's okay to pray for ourselves too. I've crossed paths with people through the years who said, you know, I, just, I don't pray for myself. I pray for other people, but I don't pray for myself. I don't think, I don't think that's right. You need to pray for yourself. If you have a burden, if you're one who is of those hurting people, God is just as concerned about your need as He is about other people's needs. Pray for yourself. The Holy Spirit is not going to lead you away from praying for yourself. The Holy Spirit is just fine with you praying for yourself. But as you pray for yourself, Pray intercessory prayers for others. Would you pray for the church? Pray for this church. Pray for God's help. Pray for God's protection. Pray for God's mercy. Pray for God's Spirit to move in us. Pray for the church to grow. Pray for the staff. Pray for the elders and the deacons. Pray for your Sunday school teacher. Pray for your small group. Pray for the young people in our church that God would would protect them. There is a war going on out there and we need to pray God's protection upon our youth. Pray for our Timothys. We have young people who have grown up in the church and they've gone out and they're serving in ministry. We need to pray for them. Pray for our young people who have gone out to the universities. Pray for God's protection to be given to them. Pray for our missionaries. My wife, Cindy, has been reading a book and she was sharing it with me just recently about how in the book she was being challenged to pray for our brothers and sisters across the world who are being persecuted. And I think sometimes we in America are just living in a bubble and as long as things are fine with us, we're not thinking too much about what's going on outside of the bubble. But you know, outside of the bubble, there are Christians who are dying for their faith. Our brothers and our sisters are suffering and they are dying because they believe in Jesus. I have a picture of a young man who was murdered just a few weeks ago. He was one of CICM's preachers. And he was murdered for his faith. He left behind a wife and he left behind a six-year-old daughter. And this is one amongst thousands who are dying for Jesus. And we I think if we are praying in the Spirit, He will lead us to pray for these people who we don't even know, but they're a part of our family.
How about this? If we are praying in the Spirit, we will pray for our president. And it says nothing in Scripture about pray for him if you like him. It says pray for him. Pray for all of those kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. I wonder if we would have more peace in our land if we had more Christians praying for those who are in authority over us. We ought to do more praying than what we do complaining. And, and when we come out of the prayer closet, is our praying finished? I don't think so. If we are praying in the Spirit, if we are being led by the Spirit in our praying, I don't think we're finished when we come out of the prayer closet. I think the Spirit will lead us in our praying all day long. And that's where Paul was, was getting at when he said, pray without ceasing. Be constant in prayer. Because if we are in the Spirit, I think the Spirit will lead us to be in a prayerful mind all day long. Not that we're in the clouds and not here on the earth, but maybe as we're driving and we pass somebody on the road that we know, maybe it's a, a fellow member of, of this church and we see wave and Lord, would you, would you bless Lowell today? I, I just passed him. Blessing today, God and His family. You pass by somebody's house that you know. Lord, do you bless them today? Do you help them? Maybe as you're running, exercising. Maybe as you're on the treadmill at, in the gym. And, and just have a mind of prayer for people. As, I bet if you're in the Spirit... He'll be bringing people to your mind that you can just pray for as you're doing the treadmill. Be a whole lot more profitable time than listening to what sometimes we listen to. I call them arrow prayers. Just shoot a prayer up to God in behalf of someone. What, what kind of prayers move the heart of God? We, we've talked about the prayer of faith, prayer prayed from a spirit of humility, an earnest prayer backed up by a righteous life, and a spirit-led prayer. Let's go deeper in our praying. Wherever you're at, if you're beginning in, in your life of prayer, then go deeper. Just go a little step deeper. If you're one who has been praying for years and years and years, try to figure a way that you can just go a step deeper. Let's pray together.
Thank you that you have invited us into the Holy of Holies. We can go there with confidence, knowing that you hear us, that you care about the things that we care about. But Lord, too, as we grow in you, may we begin more and more to care about the things that you care about. In Jesus' name, amen.